Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Laura Brodnick. And I'm Emily Vernon filling in for Key Reese today. I'm also the co-host of Mamma Mia's podcast, The Undone. Em's here to bring some youthful energy and zest to our show, to these old hags who usually run it. So welcome, No, em. no. Thank you. <laughs> and of course, today is Friday and that means weekend watch. And today, Em and I have two juicy new crime thrillers, you could call them, something to scare the pants off you this weekend. And with my recommendation, I am going to bring in a celebrity guest to help me out, so stay tuned for that. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. So singer-songwriter Adele has recently done an interview with Rolling Stone titled Adele, It Effing Devastated Me. How she turned heartache over her divorce into the most honest album yet. Huge. And coming up to her release of her new album, 30, this is probably my favourite interview she's done so far. It mainly focuses on her music and her journey in creating the album, which gives her fans such a huge insight into her creative process and how her life experiences have actually shaped her work. So in the interview, she said that the album is actually an open letter to her son, Angelo, quote, in hopes that one day he'll hear the album and really, truly understand who his mum was and how her life changed during this time. The interview also goes into great detail about specific songs and how they were brought to life, which I found super interesting. She also said that the album flows in kind of a chronological order of the emotional development she went through with her divorce. And she also has songs in there that relate to her first relationship she had after her separation. So, so, so juicy. With her concert special coming out, Adele One Night Only, which is also going to be supported with an Oprah interview. I just feel like this interview with Rolling Stone has completely fueled the already massive hype there is around the countdown of like her release. And I'm like, she's just doing everything right. I know I was laughing out loud reading this, especially when she was talking about her dating life and how she just cannot date in LA because she's Adele and people get matched up with her and they freak out. And she said the paparazzi follow her and Dumois all over it, which is so funny that she knows what that is. So she's in a relationship now, but I love that she went to LA to have this wild life and was like, I actually can't date because I'm Adele. Literally. Who can date if they're Adele? No one. So if you want to read the full Rolling Stone interview, we will link it in the show notes. I really recommend you check it out. Also making news today, Meghan Markle has apologised for misleading a British court about the extent of her cooperation with the authors of a sympathetic book about her and Prince Harry that made 
absolute waves when it was first released. So Megan, as we've discussed on the pod before, is currently wrapped up in this huge legal action in London over a newspaper's publication of a letter that she wrote to her estranged father, Thomas Markle, after her 2018 marriage to Prince Harry that was all about him staging paparazzi photos and him talking to the press. And it was this really emotional moment where she was asking her father to stop what he was doing and that was all made public in the newspaper. So she ended up suing the publisher of The Mail on Sunday and The Mail Online website for breach of privacy and copyright. And at the time, a high court judge actually ruled in her favour back in February. But now the newspaper group is trying to overturn that decision at the Court of Appeals, and the publisher is actually arguing that Megan wrote the letter knowing that it could be published. And their argument is that she had already made private information public by cooperating with Omid Scobie and Caroline Durand, who are the authors of Fighting Freedom, which is the book everyone's talking about. And at the time of publication, Harry and Megan very much denied having any part in it. But now the couple's former communications director, Jason Naff, said in evidence in the court that he actually did give the writers information and he did discuss giving them this information with Meghan and Harry. So in a witness statement, Jason said the book was discussed directly with the Duchess multiple times in person and over email. And emails were actually released as part of his statement. And it showed that he had also emailed Harry to discuss the book and to say that he was meeting with the authors. So Jason said that Harry actually replied to his emails and said, I totally agree that we have to be able to say we didn't have anything to do with it. Equally, you are giving the right context and background to them, which would help get some truths out there. So in a witness statement made public on Wednesday, Megan did accept that Jason did provide some information to the authors for the book and he did so with her full knowledge. But she also went on to say that she actually didn't remember having any of these discussions with Jason at the time, but she did give evidence in the case and said, I apologize to the court for the fact that I do not remember these exchanges at the time. So obviously this is all blowing up now and it's been a lot of negative press for her because people are saying that she directly misled the court and it's playing into this whole narrative that she's deceitful and calculating. And what I'm kind of worried about now is that people are really going to run with this and it will completely tarnish all the work she's doing and all the conversations that are going to happen around her going forward. I feel like, especially with Megan, one little misstep from her and then the whole world just goes crazy. And it's so true. Like everyone's watching every little thing she does. But how do you feel that she kind of used the memory excuse? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a loose one because it's almost like that book coming out was such a huge thing at the time and it was so instrumental in this fight against both the tabloid media for tarnishing their reputation and all these people that were attacking Harry and Meghan at the time. And as we know now with those reports that came out from Twitter, there was that whole calculated attack from a few accounts against her spreading hate speech and those accounts, even though there was only a few of them, they got picked up so widely that they actually fueled that big media circus against Megan and Harry, there's no way around to say that it doesn't look bad for them because there's all these emails of them actually saying, yes, we want to cooperate in this book, but it's really important that no one ever finds out that we did. And it just goes directly against what they were saying at the time. And I don't know how much of an effect it will have on Megan's case, but like I said, she did win the first round and now they've got this trump card in the appeal saying that she has given out private information for personal gain before and they could say that she did the same 
same thing with the letter. So it is really messy. But the thing is, with all these famous books and reports, like it is well known that the royal family do cooperate with journalists, especially like UK journalists that they have long relationships with. They do give them information. They do stop them from printing certain things. Like they are in some way in control of the media. So I feel like the whole royal family does stuff like this all the time. But it's just because of where Meghan and Harry are now with this legal fight against the publication of the letter. It's come to light, but they didn't do anything that the rest of the family doesn't do. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. Like she probably had no other choice but to just apologize and kind of be silent, but not be silenced. Yes, exactly. Amazing quote throwback to Oprah. The um, decision from the court around the appeal hasn't come out yet, but we will keep you posted when it does. I finished my work week on my couch, ordered some food. It's time for Weekend Watch. Our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. Well, now it's time for Weekend Watch, our favourite part of the week, I'd like to say, where we give you some juicy recommendations for the weekend. So, M. Vernum, you're up first. What is your pick this week? Yes, I'm kicking it off. I'm sorry I'm not as good of a singer as Key, so I'm not going to redo the sting. You want to do a little bit of singing? Weekend. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's a noble effort. Can't commit. <laughs> so Netflix has come out with a new true crime documentary series called Catching Killers, and I've only watched one episode and I'm already obsessed. So a recommendation is already warranted. I'm a huge true crime fan to the point where whenever there's like a new true crime documentary about a certain serial killer, I don't really learn anything because I already know so much. But Catching Killers has literally changed the game for me because the episodes are led by the actual lead detectives who are working on the cases at the time. And it gives of you are such kind of a different perspective and is also really super emotional because these detectives are kind of bringing up these really sad memories of them working through these cases that sometimes last years and years and years. The first episode is about the Green River Killer and you learn so much viewing the case from the detective's point of view because for the longest time they were 99% sure who the actual killer was and they just didn't have the technology to prove their case until years later. So I know this sounds really depressing but just watching kind of a true crime story happening from the side of the people who are putting them kind of in jail is so so fascinating. Well, we know people love their serial killer documentaries and dramas, so I'm sure everyone will be super into that. Little crime for the weekend, little murder. Little murder for the weekend. Well, my recommendation is actually a little bit in the same vein. So I'm recommending a new dark comedy murder thriller. That's a lot of words together, (laughs) but I feel like it's the only way to describe this show. It's called Ragdoll, and it's actually from the makers of Killing Eve. So if you loved Killing Eve, you'll like this. It's got kind of the same energy. So it's actually set in London, and it follows the murders of six people who they've all been brutally killed, and they've been cut up and dismembered, and then all their body parts sewn together to make this grotesque thing called the ragdoll. Laura, (laughs) what is this? Hey, you just recommended a serial killer documentary. That's real, at least. This is a drama. This is made up. This is making the Green River Killer look like a saint. (laughs) I know, right? So in the series, the ragdoll killer, he fabricates and positions all these murder victims cobbled together from these six victims. And then it's up to this group of police officers in London to not only solve the murders of all six people, but also there's a kill list coming out with all the future targets that are going to be hit by the ragdoll killer, including some people in this police task force who are chasing him. So then they're kind of on this time frame to stop even more gruesome killing 
things happening along the way. And I actually had a chat to one of the lead actresses from the series, Lucy Hale, who I'm sure everyone would know from, I mean, Pretty Little Liars, Liars. <laughs> Lie Sentence, Katie Keene, Truth or Dare, Fantasy Island. She loves a serial killer TV show and movie. I had a chat to her about her role in the show. She plays Detective Constable Lake Edmonds. So she's actually an American police officer who's working in London and she has this dark secret she's concealing and she gets caught up solving the case of the ragdoll killer. And she's just like you, Em. She has a really intense fascination with true crime. So she kind of went into this role with that thought process. So here's a little snippet from my interview with Lucy Hale about her role in Ragdoll. Hi, Lucy. It's so lovely to talk to you. And I just want to say congratulations on Ragdoll. That first episode in particular is such a mind-blowing piece of TV and very gruesome to watch. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, pretty weird. It's pretty dark. I'm glad you liked it. I mean, it's very specific and uh, we had way too much fun making it. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your character, Lake Edmonds, how you kind of went about crafting her, how she fits into the show, and what it was actually like to film Ragdoll, because there were some pretty intense episodes, some pretty violent episodes, and some pretty gruesome kills. Yeah, the first episode is a nice introduction into the persona she gives off to everyone. You're like, oh, she's probably new here, and young, really smart, probably talks a little too much, like trying to keep up. And that is a lot of who she is, but you start to see her, how truly brilliant she is as the season goes on. She sees things from a different angle that a lot of the other people in the workplace don't. And you discover the past trauma. She was like an onion, like slowly just peeling back the layers. I've always been drawn to the darker side of life, the darker things in life, because I think that in order to be happy or experience joy or see the light, if you will, you have to have known darkness. And I think we all shy away from that or, or shun it, but I think it's really important to like embrace both sides. I find it interesting. What makes people bad? What makes a person a monster? Like what are the steps in life that lead them to that point? I just like humans are completely fascinating to me. Ragdoll is actually based off of a series of books. I actually didn't read them because Edmonds was not even in the book. She was a dude. So they completely changed her sex for the TV show. So they were like, oh, there's probably no point. So from what I understand, a lot of the things in the book are accurate to the show. I've already seen all of the shows, movies, true crime documentaries anyway, but I did rewatch like Silence of the Lambs. There was some... Korean cinema, like a a lot of the influences for our director and cinematographer were from Korean cinema because a lot of our deaths in our show are very theatrical and big, Mm -hmm. which is obviously if you've seen Squid Game, like you understand what exactly what that is. I mean, what was so crazy is that the show is always pretty chaotic and the stakes are always very, very high. Someone's dying someone's about to die there's a kill list someone's losing their mind there's a car crash there's a stunt like there was always something every day that i went in and death in particular what i loved i shouldn't say what i loved what i appreciated about the ragdoll killer is that this person killed in almost medieval ways Mm. it wasn't traditional killing everything was very thought out very thought out the ragdoll killer was always not even 10 steps ahead, a hundred steps ahead of everyone. And there's one death that just 
how do I say? It was almost like witchery, how you would like kill a witch, maybe. I don't know, but it was very disturbing. It was like one of the few moments while filming where I was like, this is like very heavy, but makes for good TV. So Ragdoll is premiering on Foxtel and Binge from November 13, so that's tomorrow, and new episodes are actually dropping weekly, so there's a little bit more of the mystery every week for you to solve. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today, and while you're listening, please follow us, leave us a review. We love reading them, and we love knowing what you guys want to hear on our show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can check out Mamma Mia's podcast, The Undone, about navigating life in your 20s without a GPS. This week, my co-host Lucy and I tackled the tricky but not uncommon subject of dating with an STI. We spoke to a doctor and also got some advice from a listener who is currently going through this, so please take a listen. I also wanted to share some anecdotal advice from someone who reached out after they saw this story that has had herpes for four years now and is casually dating and how they navigate it. Mm. So my first question was, how do you tell a potential partner that you have an STI? It all depends on who they are. If it's a one night stand, it's a simple, you have to wear a condom because I have herpes. And that's like baseline anyway, like we need to protect each other in this situation. And she said though, interestingly, if I want to actually date them, I tell them on the second date and say that we're not sleeping together tonight so that there's no expectation there. And she said in her experience, sleeping with people on the same night she tells them can lead them to panic afterwards. This episode of The Spill was produced by myself, Laura Brodick and Madeline Joannou with audio production by Leah Forges. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.